0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Start a Puzzle, brought to you by FullScale.io. And we're back, back for another episode of Start a Puzzle. Matt DeCourcy here to have another conversation, I'm hoping, helps your business grow. A good business solves problems. A good idea solves problems. A great startup really solves problems, but how do you go about doing that? That's the question that all business owners, startups, and entrepreneurs have been answering, hopefully, effectively, since the history of problems. Someone has figured out a way to monetize them. And that's what we're going to talk about solving problems using cutting edge technology. I like talking about this stuff before we get into it. And before I introduce today's subject matter expert, I do want to remind you that today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Now, while you're checking out Fullscale, I also want you to go over to YouTube and check out Startup Hustle TV. That's right. We launched our own TV show. It's a show about startups. And the show is a startup. So come Watch us try and figure all of that out. With me today, I've got Rohan Gupta, and his company is on Startup Hustle's list of top Chicago startups. He is the CEO, and I'm assuming the founder, of Quillbot. Rohan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Matt. I appreciate it. And I like to say that no one tells the story of a company and the problem they solve more than the CEO and founder himself. So why don't you give us a little bit of backstory about you and tell us what problem you're
1: solving over at Quillbot? Yeah, uh, you know, we have a very cliche story here, but uh, founded Quillbot with my uh, good friend back in college. Uh, I was doing my master's in computer science at UIUC. He was uh in the process of dropping out of computer science at uiuc he, uh figured out a hack to basically rewrite sentences and um uh figured out that the you know broader market no one's really doing anything like that and so uh scraped together you know like a google translate style mvp in literally a week uh posted it on reddit and just just took up took off the first uh first Reddit post got over a 1,000 upvotes, and um, a couple of years later, we had uh, over a million multi-active users, went out, raised venture capital. Now we have over four, four and a half million multi-active users, and basically what we're building is an AI writing platform, so uh, leveraging cutting-edge AI to basically automate and augment as much of the writing process as we can. So and I I mentioned this off the air, but for those of you
0: listening, Quillbot was uh, after we do our top uh, top city and we talk about their startups, we talk about which one we like the most. And Quillbot was my choice. Why? Oh, first off, there's a link in the show notes for Quillbot. So what is a quill? It's a feather and you use it for writing. Q-U-I-L-L-B-O-T dot com. Uh, Check it out. It's cool stuff. But I like it because I've written three books, man. And I am a a practitioner of the written and spoken word. And I have a big appreciation for anything that makes that easier, whether it's Grammarly or Quillbot or the little red squiggles that tell you you're about to look like an idiot with whatever you're writing. So um, I think that you may have downplayed the tech here because this is an AI-based tool. And we're solving problems with with complex and high tech so let's talk a little bit about that like i mean well first off what's how does where does the ai component come into this like what does that even mean and please speak to us as if we're small children or maybe like a labrador retriever or something so we can understand it
1: yeah yeah so um the ai behind our technology or our website is basically uh, able to actually understand the meaning of of your sentences and rewrite the sentences um, with that understanding. So it can actually interpret metaphors, you know, it can interpret uh, idioms, things like that, in ways that you know traditional grammar correction technology just simply can't do. Uh, and we on a roadmap have the uh, have products that can actually generate language for you. Uh, based off of, you know, your prior, uh, prior sentences, et cetera. So think about it like Gmail autocomplete on steroids. You know, uh, we have technology that can go and help you conduct research, help you summarize research, uh, so we can actually generate, you know, like a paragraph uh, for a full three, four-page article that you throw into our uh, website. And so uh, in order for the technology to do this, it actually needs a very good understanding of the world, you know, so it needs to understand like the differences between colors. For example, it needs to understand uh, that, you know, an elephant is bigger than a suitcase uh, because there's so, so many nuances in your language and that real world understanding helps inform the AI on how best to communicate those concepts. Um, and so our AI model has, you know, read vast amounts of the internet, including all of Wikipedia and a lot of news and things like that. So it actually has, uh, a, an understanding of real world events as well. Um, you, you, uh, with sort of subtle prompting, you can actually, uh, see that in the AI model where, uh, it may generalize like the location. So like Chicago, it, it could say like, it's, you know, city in Illinois, the biggest city in Illinois, something like that, for example. So we talk about solving
0: a problem with, you know, cutting edge tech. The problem with cutting edge tech is there isn't always a lot of people that understand how the hell it works. I mean, I think that's fair to say, right? I mean, just like, I mean, any, it's cutting edge for a reason because it's new and with that, wild experimentation sometimes occurs. Uh, by the way, Quillbot sounds quite worldly. I think if you went to any dinner party with Quillbot, you would be able to have a, a very informed conversation. And imagine reading all of Wikipedia. I was actually watching a show on the History Channel where that was one of the things they uploaded to something they dropped on the moon to like ensure that the, the future of... of history was recorded. And they said, yeah, and it had all of Wikipedia in it. It's kind of a lot. Um, So when it comes, all right. So the idea of rewriting a sentence sounds simple until you think about it. And then there's literally, I would imagine an infinite number of combinations. Like maybe it is finite, but it sure doesn't seem or feel finite. When it comes to solving a problem with something cutting edge and you don't even know what it does or how to do it or, or like, what's the simplistic of approach to how do you
1: just start? sorry could you repeat that cut out
0: it, oh so how do you start like when it because you know you look at a problem and you're using cutting edge tech mm-hmm. now i mean the the square one can't be it maybe it is oh well we'll just have it read wikipedia but yeah. like, i mean wh- where do you begin
1: yeah um uh this was actually very interesting because uh ai has been going through sort of paradigm shift after paradigm shift and it's becoming increasingly more advanced um you know when we started we had you know formal training and uh we were all computer you know software engineers computer science majors i was through my masters um and we took you know ai nlp classes but uh, we just learned on the internet really, and and we played around and experimented, and we had a user base uh, that we could just constantly iterate with, so we would deploy new AI models and get user feedback and just constantly iterate from there. But it's becoming increasingly accessible. Uh, So the big cloud providers like Google, uh, and then they actually built this uh, software software layer that made uh, training AI models very easy. So um, there's like uh, software packages like uh, PyTorch and TensorFlow uh, that just make training AI models far more accessible to you know college students, etc. Um, you know we were really working on technology that uh, very few people were, and and uh, it, it's just because we were able to stand on the shoulder of giants, really. You know Google and Facebook, basically. <laughs>
0: I I often say what's easier climbing the mountain alone or asking those on top to pull you up. Um, And that's that's the key, because you're not going to as a startup, especially you're not going to outclass Google. I mean, come on, you know, like someone else is doing these things out there. So so basically you Googled it and and began to figure it out, which I've learned, I think, everything that I know that's useful off of Google. Um, I mean, how to be an entrepreneur, how to build a business, how to do shit every single day. Google it, people. It's a golden world of information. So so when it comes to like AI, and I think that people uh, people grow, really misunderstand like what it is. On the most simplistic basis. In the most simplistic way, how do you begin to know if AI is even something that can solve your problem, or if it's a good fit?
1: Um, if there's like a pattern to to what you're trying to solve, um, you know, I'm I'm sort of in the bucket of thinking that AI can solve most problems, you know, at this point. But if it's entirely, Maybe, you know, yeah, sure, yeah, if it's entirely digital, I think AI is uh, pretty compelling. Um, uh, you know, you, you see things start to break down a bit when you need like a robotic flare attached to it. But, you know, even with self-driving cars and things like that, um, I think AI is going to go through, uh, sort of, uh, an evolution in the next three to five years where we'll start to see it do just phenomenal things that people thought were impossible earlier. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think, it, um, Best way to describe it is pattern recognition.
0: Sure. And you know, when you're reading all of Wikipedia, I'm sure that, that that's I mean, that's the thing when it comes to AI and and all that is the its ability. Well, I have a list of some of the advantages of AI. Well, it's available 24/7. It yeah. can process more information. Well, at least it it can it can account for more of it than a human brain, and it can run a gazillion scenarios enough times that it's like, oh, okay, so that will work, where you're kind of, you know, I looked at, uh, you know, I've been watching, I don't know, I'm fascinated with space and science. And you look at like, in the 60s, they're like using a slide rule at NASA, you know, at NASA, you know, down in Houston, like, hang on, let me do the calculation. And then, you know, you have AI predicting Planetary alignments and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, when it comes to the advantages of solving problems, the pattern recognition is one thing. What are some other common uses
1: of AI for solving real world problems? Um, you know, I, I think like recently DeepMind uh, effectively solved protein folding, which is going to completely change medicine uh, using AI. And I, I think. Well, what is that? So protein folding is, is the ability to uh, predict the structure of, of a protein based off of its amino acids. It's basically, um, uh, earlier was thought to be intractable computationally, um, but uh, it's, it's actually uh, will completely change medicine in the next five to 10 years. It'll make uh, pharmaceuticals far easier to uh, research and develop uh, basically leading to like an era of precision medicine, you know, um, decreasing the cost, increasing the accessibility, things like that. Um, you know, I think computer vision and like self-driving cars, a lot of that stuff is going to be, uh, phenomenal, but, you know, where we really play is natural language processing and, and the models that we're seeing right now are, uh, kind of scary, but very exciting at the same time. Uh, So, you know, we're seeing models that can uh, just generate a full article uh, that can answer any question that you give it based off of just what it's read on the Internet. Um, You know, I I think like, for example, translation has been sort of a precursor here, and uh, I I think AI is basically going to remove a lot of the language barriers that we've historically faced. we're seeing applications such as, uh, you know, in in uh, the era of Zoom calls being the norm, uh, AIs that can take notes, you know, on that Zoom call, and sort of just like a layer of cognition in your day-to-day interactions with someone, and having like a virtual assistant there to take notes, follow up on emails, things like that. Um, I think we'll start to see a lot of that in the next two years. <laughs> So when it comes to Quillbot, and once
0: again, if you're listening, go check it out. It's pretty cool. You can right there on the homepage, kind of mess around with it and and see what it spits out. And uh, so when it comes to creating content and writing, well, that's a challenge because, you know, a, over the years, as I've watched this kind of platform and these things develop, oh man, a couple of years ago, like you couldn't, you. well, it was difficult that maybe even early in Quillbot's phase, you put it in, you're like, ugh. You know, it was close, but it was, it was like, ah. And if you have to spend a bunch of time editing, then it kind of, you, you, well, you begin, it begins to depreciate the value of the efficiency it's attempting to provide. So with a million users, I would imagine that that's more data sets and more stuff to analyze and look at, but how do you train it to know if
1: it's right or wrong? Um, so uh, we actually use our users to basically evaluate the models for us, and so uh, you know they're our testers basically. So we'll roll out a new AI model, and if we notice higher engagement, higher uh, basically acceptance of of the outputs, we know we've done a better job. Um, but you know, I, I think. Uh, a lot of the innovation we've seen have come in just major leaps where we've just seen models that are uh, more cognitively superior to the prior models, right? They, they start to have a better real world understanding. They start to become more fluent, uh, more clever, you know, and, and uh, we can just see that after, uh, you know, training the model and, and playing with it a little bit. And then, you know, we know it'll do well when we roll it out to production.
0: So that is it is largely user based feedback of saying yes this is good no it's not yep yeah, exactly yeah and that's that's the part like with you know everyone our running joke when we could still when TechCrunch was still a live event would you know you go around and talk to everyone's like my my machine learning algorithm And you're like, okay, look, everybody doesn't have a machine learning algorithm. Some people do and some people don't. But the thing is, is the machine can't begin to learn unless it has some understanding of whether it's right or wrong. Otherwise it's like, you you look back and I'm old enough to remember the the movie war games with Matthew Broderick and, you know, they had that computer whopper that was just playing checkers and chess all day. And it was learning how to have strategy and, you know, and, and then many, but the thing is, is if, if the machine doesn't know, it doesn't know what a win looks like until something says it. So is that high level of user engagement? Does that just rapidly accelerate the, the
1: arrival at solutions and the quality of the solution? Yeah. I mean, that tells us if we're on the right track. Um, You know, how the AI learns is through training data. And so basically we have, you know, a hundred thousand examples of uh, sentences and, you know, paraphrases of the sentence. And so the AI starts to pick that up. And every time it uh, predicts a word wrong, we sort of adjust the AI to predict the word correctly, you know, Um, And then pretty soon by the end of the 100,000 sentences, uh, it's learned how to rewrite sentences pretty effectively. Um, Prior to that 100,000 sentences, we do what's called language modeling or pre-training. And so that's where it reads Wikipedia. And that's where it reads news and uh, basically half the internet. And what it does is, uh, depending on what specifically we're trying to do, it basically just does next word prediction. So you give it a sentence and have it predict the next word in Wikipedia, you know, or the next word given the prior context. And it just does this, you know, millions and billions of times until it has read the whole Internet and can actually predict the next sentence, you know, or the next word um, uh, of a Wikipedia article or anything like that. And so not only does it learn how to, you know, write in English, it also learns the real world concepts, too. So, and this is, I'm just curious on this
0: one. So is the content, is it unique each time or is it, it, does it repeat itself? Um, so on, on, or site. Yeah. I'm just curious. Like when it's, if it's yeah. rewriting something, is that considered unique content or is it. Cause I know things like like Google and whatever that, well, they hate duplicate stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: And you also like you, there's plagiarism, yeah. you know, like, Clearly, that, that I would think that that would be something
1: that QuillBot would want to avoid. Yep. Um, yeah. So we we can write a given sentence many different ways, like ten plus ways, you know, twelve plus ways. Uh, I, I I would say that we encourage our users to only uh, use it as a creative tool for their own writing, you know. And so they put in their own language, and and it really touches it up. Uh, again, think about it like a Photoshop for sentences. Right, Um, uh, but the deeper products that we're looking to build will do things like auto-site, external research, things like that. So we uh, don't uh, encourage, we actually prevent plagiarism.
0: So and like I said, as an author of three books and dealing with the manual process, I can literally right now hear my editor in the back of my head saying, there's an echo here, you said, and he'll give you a list. He'll be like, you said this exact phrase on these 10 pages. And it starts to begin to sound like an echo. I mean, are those are those also things that Quillbot will, will it tell me that?
1: Yeah. Um, so our deeper product that we're looking to build uh, will certainly do things like that. It can show you how formal each sentence is relative to one another. So if you're, you know, one sentence is kind of off from the normal voice of your written work, it can identify that and actually provide a rewrite for that. So it matches the voice of the rest of your uh, paper, your book, or whatever you're writing, Um So, yeah, that's which
0: is hard to do, which is hard to do as a writer because when you start getting other people's hands in it, editors and whatever, it can, the things can sound out of place. All right. So, once again, today's episode of Start a Puzzle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build software teams quickly and affordably. And let's talk about that for a second. So, part of solving complex problems, as we identified at the beginning of the episode, is that what with cutting edge or emerging technology as I refer to it? You obviously you don't have a lot of people that are that have experience with it. How do you deal with that when it comes to you know you've got a venture back product and you know venture capitalists aren't exactly known for patience, and then there's a real competitive world out there for developers, especially here in the US. So how how have you gone about solving the problem of not having enough people to potentially work on it? Yeah, you know, it's
1: uh, uh, you have to pick up a lot of the slack yourself uh, at the end of the day. You know, uh, co-founders and and, uh, yourself Uh, recruiting is tough, you know, finding finding really good people who are both cultural fits uh, sort of there for the long run. Um, and have really the domain expertise to, to uh, build what you're looking to build, um, especially in NLP and AI. You know, uh, we, we interview folks all the time who have PhDs who've been in the space for 20 years, but the space is moving so quickly where you know if they haven't been working on the cutting-edge stuff in the last one or two years, their prior 20 years of experience literally means nothing. Yeah, and so uh, yep. uh, the talent pool really is only folks at Google, Facebook, you know uh open ai places like that and and those uh companies have a death grip you know on on yeah, on that well,
0: so yeah,
1: it's cuz it's fine people to do it and yeah by the way you're wondering
0: nlp natural language processing yeah. and that is well that's, you guys are in the business of nlp <laughs> I mean, kind of through and through, right? So, okay. So as a startup, how do you, what's your path to revenue
1: here? Like, how do you monetize this product? How do you have revenue? Yeah, so we are a normal, like, SaaS B2C product. Uh, So we have a freemium model where we have a free, you know, platform that anyone can use. Very accessible. You don't even have to log in to use it. Uh, and then we have a premium product where we can take sentences and rewrite them to be longer, to be shorter, to be more formal or more casual, uh, things like that. Uh, and, and, uh, we, we charge folks about 15 bucks a month for, for that, uh, uh, premium service. And so, uh, we're doing decently well, we can't say the revenue number, uh, but a few million in error. Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: okay. So as for now, so, you know, when it comes to like a product roadmap, you talk about some things you want to do in future iterations and, and all of that, like, I mean, what's the, what's the future of Quillbot? Like, where do you, like, what, where do you see, what are you going to be doing in three years? Where is, where is all this technology taking us, especially your product in five years? Um,
1: I mean, I think in like one year increments, so <laughs> it's kind of hard to predict. Five yeah, years. yeah,
0: I know. I, yeah, I can appreciate that. So,
1: so um, what I, what I'll say. So, where? Is-
0: well, then let me rephrase. Where are we one year from today? Like, what are your, what do you
1: expect to be doing
0: now, then, that you're not doing now?
1: Yeah. So we're we're going to be building out a full AI co-writer uh, over the next year, and actually, we're almost done uh, with with the beta version of the product and the AI will basically, it's an AI first word processor, basically, where the AI is sitting with users every step of their writing journey. And so we help users conduct research, we help them uh, auto-cite stuff, we help them actually summarize the research, generate language, paraphrase, basically every single step of the writing workflow, um, we'll, we'll have the latest cutting-edge technology to, to help users.
0: Do you do anything around like actually speaking to Quobot?
1: So, uh, we've had a lot of requests for like an Alexa skill and things like that. Uh, we haven't built anything yet. Uh, if I think we see a compelling use case, we will most of our users. Part, are... part, part, Sorry,
0: part go of how I wrote, part of how I wrote, I, so I wrote, two, I published two books and that came out three months apart from each other. Now I'd spent six months prior to that writing them. But part of the way that I sped it up, and this was years ago, and there, you know, this was before you even founded your company, and uh, uh, just literally dictating, you know, talking and trying to keep your voice in it. And it was a great place to start uh, when it came. But you know, there were there weren't many things that could recognize my voice, like it would, I don't know, you'd you'd upload it to some platform that said that it could recognize and and put it out put it on the page for you. And, you know, like next you do it. And it'd be like Betty White makes pancakes for all of her friends in the neighborhood. And you're like, I didn't even say anything close to that. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh, um, but, but with that, we, you know, found, I did have writing assistants and an editor that would sometimes listen to that and, you know, help type transcribe it. Um, Every, everyone that's written a book knows that the best part about writing a book is finishing it. Um, just meaning, like, you get it, it's like giving birth to a child in many ways. It's a, it's a lot more work. Well, at least writing a good one, We're writing one that is structurally sound and isn't just thrown together with a bunch of stuff. And I love the idea of the AI co writer, like, that's legit. I'm yeah. into that. Um, so, all right. So we've been talking a lot about AI as a, as a cutting edge, as cutting edge technology and it's, you know, solving problems with it. Like what's AI, like some of the disadvantages, well, it's expensive to create or it can be. Yeah. Is that, yeah. is that, is that a, is that a roadblock that, that we're going to run into
1: solving problems with cutting edge stuff? Um, it's getting better. Uh, I, th- I think uh, cost is definitely a roadblock right now, but I don't think it will be in twelve months. Uh, what I would say is, you know, uh, AI is really a black box. At least a lot of what we're seeing right now, and so for that reason, um, you actually don't know what the AI is really doing oftentimes, and and uh, you find yourself having to like sort of explain it, even though it is sort of acting by itself. And uh, another consequence of that, something that we face uh, heavily is is bias in your training data and bias in um, the AI models. And so uh, occasionally what we'll see, especially because we're doing paraphrasing, we'll see the AI write something to be a little offensive or sometimes really offensive. (laughs) Uh, And and we had obviously no intention of doing that, but because uh, it read half the internet, it picked up all of these biases uh, that, that are really hard to train out of. It. And so, you know, uh, everyone sort of in the space, including uh, the big players like Facebook and Google are spending a lot of energy trying to figure out how to remove the bias from these language models, these uh, AI models.
0: I, I chuckled a little bit when you say that because I think about the things that, ha- well, they, I remember there was something with Twitter and, you know, it had, it became biased so quickly. They turned it off within like hours because yeah. it it literally, and this is terrible, but at the same time, you're like, what? I mean, it like became hateful and racist basically, yep. you know? And it was just because, because the people that, that, well, people, people are the problem in this regard. They saw it and they, I wonder what I can get this thing to say. So they started tweeting at it like really shitty things and it learned pretty quickly. Oh, maybe this is the way we communicate. And, Um, you know, that's, I think that's where people get scared of things like AI and
1: does it scare you when it comes to that stuff? Um, yeah, you know, I, so, so that's Microsoft, Tay, and, and they did, uh, what's called active learning, which is the AI is actually learning, um, uh, as it's being deployed in production. And so users can actually influence the AI and poison the AI, um, we, we don't do that uh, because we learned from Microsoft from there. And then uh, uh, so we, we hand curate our data sets that we, we uh, train our models with. And so uh, we prevent a lot of that. But we you know bias definitely seeps in from all the pre-training that we do. Um, and, and I, I think uh, when you have AIs making like decisions, for example, so, so this is really common. Uh, AI is being used a lot in HR right to screen uh to screen resumes to do things like that um uh and language generation you know and anytime an ai is making a decision and bias is present it, it has uh the possibility of making that bias systematic in the decision making you know and, and i think that could be very toxic
0: yeah on my list of disadvantages uh it it does it it doesn't have emotions yeah. And, you know, that's part of that, you know, lacking empathy, which I believe in Star Trek, the next generation was like the ultimate step for data. The robot was yeah. like the empathy chip, you know, like and, you know, that's uh, I mean, on some levels, we're probably getting close to being able to do that on some levels because but but you got to have but l- once again, you, there's something that has to train it. And. Yeah. Uh, Do you think that the inherent bias that people have in general, like, because I don't care who you are, you have some kind of bias, like we all do, it's just kind of the way it works, it could have been generated from any number of things that we don't even need to talk about right now. But you have some bias, you like things or you don't. And that that inherent input to train a model, well, it, it kind of lives with it. So one of the things you mentioned earlier was untraining AI
1: is that hard to do? Yeah, that's very hard to do. Uh, because, you know, you can, you can get the, like most egregious examples of, of, um, of, of bias, but, but the whole point of these AI models is they can kind of generalize, you know, and they can uh, address novel situations, things like that. And so getting full coverage there is uh, pretty, it's pretty hard. And then, you know, all, what what's sort of considered offensive evolves over time i'm not saying like month to month but decade to decade so something that we didn't even realize but uh for example the spelling of kiev uh in ukraine can be uh depending on how you spell it could be considered offensive to some ukrainians and and we we didn't even know that and and our model picked up yeah the offensive version of that and so uh, sort of having the awareness of of you know uh what's generally acceptable versus not, you know, and sort of balancing the current uh, political situations or cultural, you know, uh, uh, situations is is, is tricky. You know? So when it comes to solving
0: problems that th- then t- t- technically at, at, now on many levels, AI is giving you suggestions. Yeah. Or at least that's a better way to look at it until you feel pretty pretty darn confident about it. I think that's what freaks people out is like when and where. Another thing that people seem to be uh, scared about is, is this gonna replace us and make us all unemployed? Um, I mean, overall, this kind of automation and and stuff like that is usually doing things that people don't wanna do is what I found. Then they're not happy doing it. Any type of automation is, is just, just, doing literally that it's automating a repetitive task that d- makes your back or your mind or your psych or your general psyche kind of hurt, you know? So what what are your thoughts on that is like, are, are do you think that AI and the, and emerging technology simply just take the place of things that people didn't want to do anyway, or is it a real threat to, to people's employment?
1: Um, I think it's definitely a threat to people's employment. Uh, you know, I, I think it's likely still, um, good for overall productivity. It'll improve everyone's standard of living. Uh, but I think a lot of people sort of construct their identity based around, uh, their jobs and things like that. And so, you know, I think self-driving cars have, uh, can very quickly automate a ton of jobs there. You know, what we're doing, uh, can automate a lot of writing, but that being said, uh, you know. People listen to your podcast for your unique viewpoint. For my viewpoint, you know, on the world, and the AI can't do that, right? And so, um, the AI is actually reducing the barrier uh, for for you to communicate your viewpoints uh, to the world. And so, in, in some ways, it can actually democratize, uh, you know, writing for like let's say non-native speakers of English, things like that, or folks who uh, have very compelling viewpoints but just don't want to put in the work of you know fully writing a book. Uh, you know, end-to-end to to do that, um, to communicate Then, So I, I think in some ways it could be really uh, rewarding for people and it can sort of be the building blocks they need. So like, think about a calculator, right? Um, a calculator can make an accountant's job much easier, but in that, uh, you know, you may need fewer accounts because uh, they spend less time doing more mundane tasks of accountancy, so. It's just general business evolution,
0: if you ask me, you know, like every business I've owned, operated and grown over the years has become more efficient along the way, been able to do twice the volume with the same number of people. Or if you're not getting better, you are getting worse. And that is a real that is real people, um, you know, part of it, Now, what
1: What about just like general productivity hacks? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think like AI's kind of revolutionized productivity sort of across the board. And uh, yeah, I I think it's like sort of the ultimate productivity hack. So um, yeah,
0: I I, I, I find that people overwhelmingly hate writing, dude. Like they do. Like, I mean, you ask, I talk to founders and people all the time. And they're like, dude, you've written three books. You've published thousands of blogs. And we have over a decade. They're like, how do you do it? I'm like, we sit down and we write. Yeah. You know, because that was the way we did it. And they're like, oh, how do you do that? And I'm like, you do it whether you like it or not. If you want to achieve a desired outcome, you go through whatever process it is that you need to do. Now, if there's things that make that better, faster, or cheaper, yes, we explore them. But man, it is just unbelievable how many people are afraid to write. And I think that stuff like Quillbot is what I would like to think really helps improve the confidence. And, uh, you know, I know this is a different, like Grammarly, for example. I don't know if you like or don't like Grammarly. I don't know if that's a competitor or not, but Grammarly, their little free plugin probably stops millions of people a day from sounding like idiots. And on that level alone, we should thank them. You know, and, and that's the thing is, is that that uh, that backup, that confidence. And I think that that's where your product is, is putting people. And the other thing too is, is some, you know, so I spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, well, I, I call it fact shaping. And there's much like there's a, there's you, there's a zillion ways to say anything, which means some of them have to be way better than others. So how are you shaping the facts around the message that you're trying to deliver? Because you look at words like affordable or cheap. Many people will bundle them to they are they and they are received in dramatically with dramatically different values. Like when you think of the word cheap, you think flimsy, disposable, it's going to break easily affordable. Mm -hmm. That's got value. So, you know, some of that is people just don't inherently understand that. And I think that, I don't know, maybe they're not, I don't, I really don't know how to explain the why around that, but at the same time, so, so with Claude, is there any do you begin to look at things like what i referred to as fact shaping like some of these words are way more effective
1: than others so uh, there's two parts to this one is like fully understanding the context and what the user is trying to convey and that that's uh, kind of hard to do sometimes but we try to do our best and that's getting better better over time but sometimes the ai has to infer that uh, and, and make sort of an educated guess uh, based on what the user is trying to say and how well it'll be received. And the second half is making sure, you know, all, all those subtleties of English language are properly trained into the model. And so we have, um, we have linguists and a whole team that reviews each, uh, you know, training pair to make sure that, you know, that subtlety is, is properly communicated to the model. Uh, so it can pick that up, and then and then these AI models are so you know large and smart that uh, they can sort of generalize those ten thousand examples up and actually do it very well uh, at scale. Um, yeah, and and uh, you, you were sort of talking about another thing which uh, we we spent a lot of time thinking about, which is uh, called linguistic style transfer. So, like for example, taking a casual sentence and making it more formal. You can do it, you can take a normal sentence and make it like Shakespearean. For example, uh, so, so you can have, we, we call these uh, modes, but we can have like a polite mode, a simple mode. You know, uh, a, we have a formal mode that makes all of your sentences formal. And so the user can sort of opt into um, uh, a specific a type of writing that they like to convey. And uh, I, I think that resolves a lot of the problems you're talking about too. And and that that's actually what I'm talking about. Like
0: that confidence to like, how do I sound a little smarter here? All right, Rohan, let's get the listeners really fired up because this is probably what we'll get a bunch of comments for. Does QuillBot support or deny support of the Oxford comma? Oh,
1: uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually not, not the right person because we have like linguists in-house who... who... Like fake now, like oh no, I can't believe you said that.
0: You don't even need to answer that, man. I just like I just think it's my every now and then when I want to get people stirred up on Facebook, I'll just let them know that I'm a firm supporter of using the Oxford comma for reasons that are solely based around other people getting pissed off about my support of it. So like I could really give a shit either way, but yeah, it's amazing the stuff that people decide to get excited about and, and defend vehemently. Um, But the ant does the same thing as the comma. I know, but vampire weekend wrote a song about the Oxford comma. So it, I didn't even know what it was until that damn song came out. All right. So once again, <laughs> once again, with me today, Rohan Gupta, the CEO and founder of QuillBot, Q-U-I-L-L-Bot.com. Link in the show notes. Go check it out. Like, It's going to make you smarter. It's going to make you at least sound smarter, and that I'll verify. So I end my episodes with uh, Startup Hustle. I say my episodes because I'm not the only host. Make sure to tune in on Tuesdays where you can learn a lot about e-commerce and Amazon from Andrew Morgan's. Tune in on Thursdays with Innovate, her founder, Lauren Conaway. And she talks about a lot of of stuff too. I can't even put that... Put her shows in a box because they she addresses so many different matters. If you haven't had enough of Startup Hustle by then, make sure to come visit and see what we're doing on Startup Hustle TV. We're figuring it out, people. We're figuring it out how to. And don't Rohan, don't ever start your own TV show. It's a bad idea. It's a lot of work. It's not a bad idea. It's just a lot of work. So you know, as we round out an episode of Startup Hustle, that's brought to you by Fullscale.io. What advice, like, what do you want to say to the founders of the world on the way out? Maybe we should ask Quillbot and let it formulate an answer. But what do, you, what do you want to say to, like, what's the advice you can give uh, on the subject of solving problems with cutting edge stuff?
1: Uh, you don't need to be brilliant to do it. You just need to be like, clever and creative. I think, I think the applications of cutting edge tech, you know, all the building blocks are there. So just creatively applying them is, is uh, all it really takes. <laughs> I,
0: I love that. Um, I would rather be clever <laughs> than anything else. I think as an entrepreneur being clever is way more valuable than being smart. Like, cause clever is, is, well, it just, there, trust me. You look at you look at the people that have done the best as entrepreneurs and founders, and they do clever things. Yeah, they're smart too, but clever is is a is a different level of utility overall. I think that you know and and my freestyle on the way out, I mean, first off, there's that. Uh, also, you know, Google it. Google <laughs> it, people, like there is like there's never been more everything out there for free than right now. and that and tomorrow, There'll be more out there than there was today. And you can, I mean, man, I've learned how to do the craziest stuff on Google, figuring out that it's even possible. You get to pursue other things. It doesn't mean that you always find your answer right there in the search results, but it'll give you ideas. It'll help you find clever solutions. It'll guide you to the people and whatever it is that might be out there. Uh, I mean, it's, and, and you know what, if it's not on, if it's not on Google, then go over to YouTube also yeah. owned by Google, and maybe someone else is doing it there. It's just, a, I mean, it's, it's out there. It's just a matter of where you're going to look for it. And you don't need QuillBot for that. You do not need QuillBot to read all of Google to help you find an answer. But I do hope you go sign up for it. It's cool, man. I like it. I, I like what you're building. I like what you've built. So keep building it, man. I'll catch up with you down the road. Appreciate it. Thanks, Matt.